0: Thank you so much. Hmm. We have to hear that again before the season's over, that's for sure. Man, why? Piano was pretty good too. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Wow, that makes you want to preach. It makes you want to sit down and say nothing. Luke 2. I got to think of something else, get my mind off it. Thinking of Rick Copy, he told me the other day. He said, he walked by the manger. He said, I didn't know Mary wore a babushka. <laughs> <laughs> well, in our Christmas play, that she does. Amen. Amen. So that got my mind off it. Thank you, Rick. All right. All right, Luke chapter 2, and we'll drop into verse 7 through 11 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 7, we'll pick up the reading. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in, in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I've said that there's hardly any new thoughts I can think of, but this thought came to mind this week, and and I've been trying to preach on several things this Christmas that the Lord spoke to me about, the wonder that He came. We saw that the first Sunday, December, and then the irrefutable, unchangeable fact of Christmas that God came in the flesh, and today, a similar thought as we look at it, but... Uh, question, why the Savior came? We're going to try to answer that. There are many reasons, but I've got a few listed that I think will be a blessing and help to you. You might even be able to share them with people that need to know the Lord. Why the Savior came. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what our ears have heard. You've touched our hearts, Lord, in that song. And of course, uh, Lord, the whole day has been good. Sunday school was wonderful. Lord, help me now as I stand behind this pulpit. Give me clarity of thought. Arrest our hearts, Lord, for what you have to say to us. Be with the children and the workers as they still prepare for their assignment tonight. And also be with the deaf church as they gather around your word today. May Jesus be lifted up, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why the Savior came. Now, it's perfectly natural, I believe, for man to ask the question, especially lost man, why did Jesus come? Or why was God manifest in the flesh? Why did God come to dwell among us? And so I want to answer some of these and perhaps to satisfy a thought that we might have in our hearts and minds, but also maybe to answer some questions that may come to you during this holiday season from those that don't know the Lord. But the subject is our Savior's coming, and as last week, probably every week, we've talked about this amazing thought, God came in the flesh. Now, uh, our world today, sadly and surely, uh, they have more of a tendency to believe in Santa than to believe in the Savior. And so we that know the Lord, we need to project that, okay, I'm, I'm all for Christmas trees and you know, presence and stuff like that, but I believe as Christians, we are, we are commanded, we are, we are commissioned to be a witness all the time, obviously as Christians, especially at a season like this, also around Resurrection Sunday. It's another great opportunity. But I mean, people need to know the Lord. And so we need to have a, a ready answer to them that ask of us, the hope that lieth within us. They have some questions they ponder about Christmas, and so God came in the flesh, and they may be wondering, how is that? How did that happen? Who would believe such a thing, and, and uh, why did he come? Well, the first thing I want to mention today, I believe the Lord came to fulfill all the prophecies that were foretold in Scripture. Scripture. Now it's interesting, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, says, when without controversy, we heard this one last week, no, no argument, no debate, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up to glory. Now the Old Testament scriptures have many prophecies concerning Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, I believe there's 61 prophecies concerning Christ. And there are several that, are, that draw us to Christmas time or the birth of Jesus Christ. And to understand these 61 prophecies, they were all fulfilled in one person. Now, the question might come to mind from the world, maybe even to you, is that what is the chances of that? Well, I'll tell you, there's slim very slim, staggering. I did some research this week and thought, you know, I'm going to see if, I, if anybody's ever tried to figure this out before. What are the odds of one person fulfilling all these prophecies? Now, Deuteronomy chapter 13, go there real quick, Deuteronomy 13, and I want you to understand God's word is pretty clear that if somebody If somebody says something's going to come to pass, it better come to pass. If they were a prophet of God, or if they said they were a prophet of God. God didn't say, well, we'll give them 80%. Jeannie Dixon, years past, she was supposed to be someone that could project things or prophesy things, and and she wasn't. And there's these people today that think they read into people's futures and people call them for a dollar a minute and t- they tell them how, who they're going to marry and he's going to be tall he's going to be short he's going to be wonderful he's going to be terrible you know according to God's word they wouldn't even be alive okay so God's very strict on who are prophets and who says things for him And in Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 1, the Bible says, "...if there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and giveth thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass, wherefore he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which uh, thou hast not known, and let us serve them. Thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet." Or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Now go over chapter 18 of Deuteronomy. Now I I would hope not. I would hope not that there's anybody here, child or an adult, that actually would look up somebody or call somebody or think somebody's going to be able to tell your future. I want you to understand what God says. God's, he's against all that stuff, all the all the necromancers and soothsayers and storytellers, and that's not of God, that's of the devil, okay? But in Deuteronomy 18, verse 20, God is very clear again when it comes to prophesying. He says in in Deuteronomy 18, 20, "...but the prophet which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die." If thou shalt say in thine heart, how shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if that thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken, but the prophet hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. Now God's pretty clear here that if in the Hebrew World and in the scriptures, that prophecy must be completed at a hundred percent accuracy rate. That, that's pretty, pretty straight. Hundred percent, okay. And so, these prophecies of the true Messiah must be fulfilled entirely, or that individual is not the Messiah, he's not the Christ, he's not the Lord of glory. Now, there's questions re- regarding the uh, vindication of Jesus that such a person could be the one who fulfills all these prophecies. They would consider him to be a a fake, a hoax, a charlatan. And you remember, when Jesus came, many of them seeing his miracles, hearing his miracles, they believed that's exactly who Jesus was. But Jesus always performed what he said he was going to perform. He performed miracles. He did that which the prophets foretold. Now, just two specific prophecies of the Christmas story. We're going we're to just read two, but there are actually eight that we could go to. For time's sake, I won't. But let's consider two and then eight of the 61 prophecies concerning Christ. We're going to come up with a big number here in a second that's going to astound you. But go to Micah 5.2. This is a well-known prophecy of the Lord concerning the Christ. In Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, the Bible says, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose going forth hath been, uh, been from old, from everlasting. So we're told of the place that the Christ, the Messiah, would be born. And then Isaiah the prophet he says in chapter 7, in verse 14, and mind you, 700 years before Jesus was actually born. The prophet Isaiah says in seven fourteen, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And we're talking about God coming. Why would Jesus come? Why would God come in the flesh? And, and, and this is just mind-boggling because the world will say, well, how can that be? What are the odds? Well, out of these 61 prophecies concerning Christ, some professionals in our day have gotten together. They call them forensic scientists. And they discovered DNA profiles and they matched them. And I did not know this But of the odds of a DNA profile of having a wrong person is frequently less than one in several billion. So if somebody's at court and they're saying, it wasn't me, if they got DNA, it was him, okay, or her. That's how strict this is. That's amazing to me. But back in the between the 1950s and the 1980s, there was a scientist, a professor of mathematics, chairman of mathematics and astronomy at Pasadena City College and West, uh, West uh, Mort College. His name is Peter Stoner. He, he was a brilliant uh, mathematician, and he had 600 students. At one time, he gave them an assignment regarding. The prophecies of Jesus Christ. He asked about the probability of the odds of one person fulfilling eight specific prophecies of Christ. Now we just read two, but eight, and there's 61 total about his birth, his life, his death, and, and this is this is amazing. The students calculated the odds against one person fulfilling these eight prophecies, and it was. Te- uh, Uh, 1 in 10 to the 21st power. Now, to understand that, I don't understand that. Maybe there's a mathematician here. Understand how big that is, he went on to say this. And I want you to understand something. He has credentials, and I'll mention them. To fully, to understand the bigness of that number, to fully illustrate that number, Stoner gave the following example. First, blanket the entire earth mass With silver dollars, 120 feet high. Secondly, specifically mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. Thirdly, ask a person to travel to earth and select the marked dollar while blindfolded (laughs) from the trillions of other dollars. Folks... Well, they concluded that that's impossible. It can never be. It's improbable. Nobody could do that. But the American Scientific Association stated about Stoner and his students, they said this, the mathematical analysis is based upon principles of probability which are thoroughly sound, and Professor Stoner has applied these principles in a proper and convincing way. In other words, they said he did a good job at what he was doing. Now concerning Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, where it states that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, the professor and his students determined the average population of Bethlehem at that time. Then they divided it by the average population of the earth during the same period. They concluded the chances one man being born in Bethlehem was one in 300,000. Now that sounds pretty big. But now if you connect all eight of the prophecies, not 61, but just eight of the prophecies that they studied about Jesus Christ. Here's the conclusion. The estimate is one chance in a trillion, 13 times. But I want to tell you this. I don't believe it because Stoner proved it. I don't believe it because the students worked with him to prove it. I don't believe it because he... American Scientific Association said that he used good and reliable ethics and work. I believe it because God's word says it. But that's, that's how far they went to prove something. And I appreciate that effort made. Hey, just tell the world God came in the flesh. And you say, well, our pastor said this. Could you believe this? That's fine. Share that with them. But just tell them that's what the word of God says. That word is pure. It's perfect. It's reliable. It's accurate. It tells us about our Savior who was God in the flesh. The Bible says that God in due time brought forth his son. That word means perfect time, fullness of time. That's so amazing. So why did Jesus come? To fulfill all those prophecies. I've said this many times. A lot of people think, well, Jesus is such a wonderful person, loving, compassionate, which he was. We'll talk about that. But Jesus didn't perform his miracles to be a nice guy. He didn't perform all those miracles to make you go, wow, that guy can do that. He performed all those miracles to prove who he was. To give authenticity to his earthly ministry by all those prophets foretelling who he was and what he'd do to be known as the Messiah, the Christ. we got a pretty amazing God. Jesus came to fulfill all those prophecies. Why did Jesus come? To draw near to men. Us. That's astounding. Why would God want to draw near to us? You think I would have just started it all over again. scrap that mess and let's go again. No, no. John 1 and verse 14, we saw this last week. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. God wanted man to behold Jesus. To behold his glory. To look at Jesus and say, boy, there's something about him. The glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we just heard, and he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Although there were so many facts. You talk about fact check. I mean, those Hebrew scholars, those, those Pharisees, they were fact checkers. And He fulfilled them all. Jesus came to mankind to, to make a visible, tangible, seeable way to see God. Emmanuel, God come in the flesh. Listen, God made it available for them to hear Jesus' voice, to eyewitness his birth, his life, his preaching, his teaching, his compassion, his miracles, his many works of grace toward man. And those Hebrews, scholars, and sages, they knew what their forefathers had said and prophesied And they heard about how God would show his presence in the camp of the Hebrews. And as they would go into the Holy of Holies, there would be that cloud. And they knew when the cloud was there, God was there in the fiery pillar and in the cloud. And God made made sure that his people knew that he was present among them. But with Jesus, he wanted them to actually see God become a man. God in the flesh and observe the life of Jesus Christ. So God came to Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold a virgin. Our world has trouble with that right away. That's why the newer versions say young woman. It's not a young woman. Any, Any young woman can have a baby. But a virgin. Mary was of the, Holy, the child of the Holy Ghost. God came upon her. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Again, God with us. In Matthew 1, 21, and she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sin. God wanted to make sure that everybody knew that Emmanuel was Jesus. I love that name, Jesus. Hey, at Christmas time, use the name Jesus. Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted as God with us. So God came to show man who he was. God came in the flesh to redeem fallen man, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Last week, we needed a man. We needed a perfect man. We needed a willing man. We needed an approved man, a successful man, a resurrected man, a glorified man, To redeem us, mankind. Now remember this, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm so glad I can report that as a preacher. James 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. How do we know that? He sent his son in the flesh to show that he fulfilled all prophecies and that he would be close to man so man could see him, observe him, know him. Amen. Thirdly, why did the Savior come? To reveal to us what God is like. What's God like? John 1.14 says "He, he dwelt among us. The word became flesh, so that word beheld means to look, to see to cast one's eyes upon. Now, I've never seen Jesus in the physical. I will one day. The God-man Jesus is still the God-man Jesus up in glory. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And one day I will look on him with my own eyes. And the saints that have passed on recently that knew the Lord, they, they, they see him, they, they know him. But God said to among his people, I'm going to send my son. And they beheld him and his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father. And so Jesus came to reveal to us what God was like. You know what God is like? He's total righteousness. The perfect righteousness of Jehovah God is revealed in human flesh. In the Son of God, in Jesus, Jesus showed Himself to be righteous. He was harmless, holy, righteous, undefiled. The Messiah, the chosen of God, whose, hand did, whose hands did no violence, whose lips spoke no guile. God, the Son, showed Himself to be very God. In In 33 years of unparalleled unparalleled holiness and righteousness, they were watching him for 33 years. I've, I've often thought of this. John the Baptist and Jesus were cousins. What would it be like? Hey, my cousins, they were nothing like that. How'd you like to have a perfect cousin? I mean, a sinless cousin. For 33 years. And you go out and play as kids. Stick ball, marbles, whatever you want to do. Now, don't go out of here and tell everybody I said Jesus played marbles. I have no idea. But when they were children, you know, Jesus was brought up in the home of the carpenter. you understand that? And he waxed strong in the Lord. There had to be times where people looked at him and said, what an astounding young person. What an amazing young man. The Bible says Mary, his own mother, pondered these things in her heart because Jesus was righteous God in the flesh who did no wrong, neither was there guile found in his mouth. He showed himself to be God like. Amen. John 14, 9, Jesus saith unto him, Have I been so long with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father, and how sayest thou, Show us the Father? I imagine Philip went, I'm sorry, Lord. I, I don't know how he must have felt. Have you not been with me? Don't you know who I am? Jesus came. To show us the righteousness of the Father in human flesh. Why did the Lord come? Why did the Savior come? To declare God's love for us. That's a great one. We know that one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. What a wonderful verse. But to love me. To love me. Amazing. God loves me. Hey, God loves you. Jesus showed the love of God in unique and unprecedented ways. No one had ever ever seen a man like Jesus. Most of the people that Jesus dealt personally with, they had problems. And the religious crowd, their their solution was just go away. Bunch of kids here. Don't bother the Savior. He's too busy. There's a woman over here. Oh, don't bother her. There's a guy over here. Oh, no, but you don't have time for that. That that was not Jesus. You know, we're sometimes like that. We we don't have time for people. As Pastor Williams did such a great job in Sunday school, we judge people. These are approvable. These are not. Rejection hurts. Jesus knew. Your rejection, so he knew how it felt. See, he came to understand the human plight. My goodness, what a Savior. He showed pity and compassion and concern, and he shed tears. When a loved one was taken away, he showed empathy over, over uh, of, of average daily life. He showed kindness and forgiveness and great grace. Jesus Showed them, demonstrated to them sinlessness and selflessness. And here's one other. He demanded that his disciples live the same way. In the matter of love, he said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. You have love one for another. Oh, saints, love each other. And let's love the lost. Jesus, in his human form, he demonstrated all the character, the characteristic of God. The invisible God was made flesh, visible, seeable, in the person of Jesus Christ. And the great great attribute of God is love, for God is love. And Jesus had the attribute of love visibly, completely, undeniably, in his life and ministry. John 1.18, no man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father. He hath declared him. Wow. Then the Savior came to show us the patience of God. God's been patient with me. Has he been patient with you? Sure he has. Sure he has. Since you've been saved. A million times over. Verse Thessalonians one three. Remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. First Peter two twenty three. Who about, the context is Jesus? When he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Revelation chapter one and verse nine. John the Revelator says, "I John, who am also your brother and companion in tribulation." And in the kingdom and the patience of Jesus Christ. Oh my goodness. Oh, Jesus was patient. All that the world threw at him, all that religion threw at him. All that the scholars threw at him. He was, Jesus lived a righteous, holy life, a patient life, a godly life, a loving life. Under the most trying of circumstances, he's unrecognized of who he truly was. He was disrespected. He was mistreated. He was ill-treated. He was rejected. Yet he demonstrated forbearance and patience. Thank God for the long-suffering attribute of God. What an amazing God. What an absolutely amazing God. All these wonderful truths of who he was. 1 Peter 2 and verse 23, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. Now, some would come and say, no, preacher, no, wait a minute. My mother asked me this question one day. I'll get to it. You know, the very best of men in the Bible had their limits. So there's hope for us. Job, the most righteous man, he got upset. Moses, the most, Jesus said not a man born was meeker. Now the word meek doesn't mean weak. It means strength under control. But Moses was a meek man, but he got angry. Remember how he threw the tablets down? God gave us another set. I like the word, it said added many like words. I like that. But some say Jesus was not all that patient because remember when he went into the temple and he tossed all those tables and ran the money changers out with a with a cat of nine tails. That's not anger. I did a message on this years and years ago. That's called holy violence. Because you see, God, he can have divine retribution for the desecration of God's house. And I know it wasn't sin because the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.22, who did no sin, neither was there guile found in his mouth. Jesus couldn't have done any sin or he wouldn't have been the Savior. So what he did there was holy, righteous violence. Being sovereign God, that was another attribute showing them, hey guys, you're not dealing with the average guy. I am Messiah, I am Christ, I'm the Lord of glory, I'm your creator. And think about it, he could have zapped them. On the cross, all he went through, he could have come down, but he chose not to for you and I. What a God, what a Savior is Jesus our Lord. Then why the Savior came to be discovered as our sin bearer. Proverbs 2, verse 8, or Philippians 2, verse 8 says, In being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Paul writes again in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter writes in chapter 2, verse 24, who his own self bare our sins and his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye are healed. Jesus came for the divine purpose to redeem fallen man, to do his Father's will of our redemption. And here's what the psalmist wrote: it's a messianic psalm, so it's speaking for Christ. Psalm 40, verse 8: I delight to do thy will, O my God. Paul writes in Romans 8:3: for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God. <laughs> Oh my goodness. God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right. And for sin, condemns sin in the flesh. What an amazing God. Flesh needed to be redeemed. Yes, sir. So God comes in the flesh to take upon himself the form of man and become sin right. for us. Right that you and I might have eternal life with Jesus Christ for all eternity. Have fellowship with the Father. Jesus, God the Father, turned His back on His Son at Calvary for me, for you. What a God. What an amazing God. God come in flesh. We just sang the song, I mentioned it last week, but the line from the, Hark, the herald angel sings, mild he lay his glory by. Born that men no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. The second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ became. Why'd he come? Why'd he come? To be our sin bearer. Many years ago, I saw an adaptation of a book written in the late 1800s of a community of people living in the mountains. I believe it was Virginia. And in those mountains, those mountain people, they had many superstitions regarding religion and God. One of the things they came up with is a person that they designated the sin eater. Eater. And they would pick a person out of their community that they would send away, and they would live all by themselves. They couldn't marry. They couldn't have human contact. That person would live by themselves. And whenever there was a death in the community, the bell would ring in the country, in the hillside, and everybody would hear that bell, and they know that somebody died. And that sin eater would come in the middle of the night, at midnight, as the the, the town would come out and get around that grave, and they would put articles of of worth, of value on that dead corpse, and, and, and they would try to treat it reverently, but they could not help that person's soul, so they believed that when the sin eater would come, he would take away their sin They'd actually take cake that they had made and they'd put it on the corpse and they would hear the the sin eater, the sin bearer would come and there would be a sound and they, they they were commanded to all turn their back from the corpse. Nobody could look upon the sin eater and they would come and he would come and he'd actually eat that bread as he was eating the sins of those people, taking that into himself and becoming sin. And all that folklore and all that mystical stuff, some of that pointing to Christ. He took our sin upon him. And they lived in in that way for many generations until a preacher came and the preacher declared the Gospel in those mountain hollers and in those, in, those, in, in those setting that they were in to bring the gospel of Jesus that eradicated that whole thing from that community. But see, they were on their own. They couldn't figure out how somebody could take away their sin debt. Thank God on Calvary, Jesus came. It became sin for us. He came to be our sin bearer when God looks at me, He sees no sin. He looks through the blood of the Lamb, and I am white and I am clean, and I am pure from sin. I'll give you these when we're done, to explain to us God's choice of letting us be the house of the Spirit. John 7:39, "But this He spake of the Spirit which they that believed on him should receive. Second Corinthians 1: 121, "Who hath also sealed us and give us the earnest of the Spirit?" That word "earnest" is down payment. Like you, you're buying a house, you put some down payment money to prove you're going to finish the transaction. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is God's down payment. It's God's earnest." He said, "I'm going to put him in you until you're home." Oh my goodness. Thank God for the gift of the Holy Ghost. What an amazing thought. That you and I are the repository, the vessel, the house of God, that that God would come in the flesh and dwell among us and take his sin upon us. And then he said, it's it's better that I go. It's more expedient that I go away and I'll send another comforter, one of the same kind. And that Holy Spirit indwells the believer in you, in me that are saved. And he stays with us. Throughout our whole earthly journey. And we close our eyes in death. We go directly to the Lord. What a God. What a Savior. I mean, only God could consider all these things. And they all are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God born in the flesh. Isaiah 53, 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul, he shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear the iniquities. All we can say in conclusion is Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. That word unspeakable, it means indescribable, beyond the ability to fully describe beyond the ability to make someone fathom. I wish I was better at it. But according to God's word, it's unspeakable. Nobody could fully do it. I wish I could remember his name. I can't remember his name. But we used to have an old-time preacher come to Tennessee Temple, to chapel, and he'd preach. I can't remember. I wish I could remember his name. But, oh, he could quote poetry. He could memorize things, my goodness, and give them verbatim. I think he was known to be able to, yeah, I think he memorized the entire New Testament. And he would come and preach, and I mean us students, we'd sit there and just, oh, what? how does he do this, how does he do this? To me it was unfathomable. I don't care who he is, what preacher he is, what church he's pastored, all his credentials, all his experiences. Thanks be unto God for his unspeak. Nobody could tell us all the hues. Amen. Of God come in the flesh. But God didn't expect us to. It's too great. It's too wonderful. man cannot comprehend it. But he does want us to tell the Christmas story everywhere we go to anyone that will hear us. God, come in the flesh. Jesus, come to be our Savior. I don't know that there may be one or two here today that you have not come to a personal knowledge of Christ as Savior. Maybe there's not been a time where you truly have believed on him. I don't know. Maybe some are doubting. Say, I think I have. I'm not sure. God wants to help you and so do we. If we could be of any assistance in this invitation, come and we'll try to show you the best we know how, out of God's word, how you can believe on Jesus as your Savior, your Emmanuel. Why did the Savior come? To fulfill scripture. To draw near to men, to reveal what God is like, to declare God's love, to show us the patience of God, to give us a sin bearer, to gather us to glory someday. We don't like to think about it, but one of these days we're going to take our last breath. Will it be heaven or will it be hell? Let's bow our heads if we would, every head bowed. Our world deserves to hear and heed why the Savior came. So please, with all the Christmas celebration, don't forget to share your Savior. Don't emphasize all the trappings. Emphasize the truth that Jesus came in the flesh, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died, wash away our sin debt raised again for newness of life. For us, he sits at the right hand of the Father making his intercession, and he's coming again. What a God. What a Savior. What a story. Unspeakable. Father, help us in the invitation. I don't know who's here. I don't know everyone's spiritual condition. You do. May there be someone here with such a Message priests that would come to know you as Savior. May there be Christian, Lord, who is doubting. Give them assurance. Maybe there's someone here that is just having a difficult time this Christmas season for a myriad of reasons. I pray that you'd comfort them knowing that you love them so much you came. And you came to become sin for them that they might have eternal life. Bless now the invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.